0: Welcome to the Read This Podcast, a podcast about life, faith, uh, family, community, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, it's a podcast run by my dad and my brother, and and we're excited to have another episode today, today. So welcome, Dad and Kalen, to the podcast.
1: All right. Thank you, Anderson. Let's get the show on the road.
0: Oh, amazing. So, Kalen. Um, you have been driving quite a bit, uh, you are in transition right now, you just recently graduated college, um, and you are currently homeless, except you're not homeless, you're living in two places, which happen to be seven and a half hours away, how is that going for you?
1: I would, I would consider us more of nomads at this point, because we have (laughs) two places that we travel back and forth, but we're not not really stationary in one spot. Cause we'll go, we'll go to one place for a little bit. And then when we get sick of it, then we'll travel back to the other place. And then once we get sick of there, we'll travel back. So it kind of keeps everything fresh and new. Um, so we don't it's, feel stuck in one location, especially during, during these lockdown times that we're still under. So Is okay, Nomad
0: oh, go for it, Dad. <clears throat> Well, I was going to,
2: I think I'm going down the same, same path that you were, you know, <clears throat> Historically in ancient times, nomadic nomadic life was you know following their a food source or following a trading source, you know, some you were following a trade route, you know, so you were always in pursuit of something. There was always something you were chasing as a nomad in order to survive. What is it that you think that you're chasing in your nomadic life?
1: Um I would say right now, basically what we're chasing is just the experience of not, uh, you know not being tied down to one job, not being tied down to one location. so our nomadic travel is just basically following our dreams to travel around and hopefully soon to expand that to across the U.S. Very cool. That's sweet, so: I
0: have yeah. a, So with um, nomadic life requires lots of hours of what we call. Windshield time. Um, Have you had any uh, compelling thoughts during your windshield time, Kaylin?
1: Oh, man. Um, not a lot of super deep thoughts. Most of the time our, our windshield time is just turning on a nice, either like a podcast or uh, some new album that comes out. And we just kind of let our brains go as we just lose ourselves in the music. Yes, I can't I can't think of any standout deep, deep conversations that we've had on the road off the top of my head.
0: Interesting. Um, Well, I remember, well, Dad, you living about an hour and a half away from us growing up um, required and you lived that far away. But you were definitely uh, present within our lives more than what that would, I guess. Uh, what, what, what would be expected about someone who lived that far away, I guess. It wasn't super far, but I mean, now that I'm older, it doesn't seem that far away. But when I was a kid, it felt like a really long way. Um, but forever. we had quite a bit of windshield time during that as well. How many, um, how many times around the world did you discover that you drove from Columbus to New Bremen? I think I remember you came up with that calculation. So when when Kalen graduated from high school and my
2: regular visits, which were basically uh, almost always once a week at least, and oftentimes multiple times a week, because you guys were both in uh, extracurricular activities or you had uh, your band or you know there was always something else going on during the week to get over there. So you know two or three times a week, when I kind of mapped it back to when we first moved to Columbus in two thousand and three um i estimated with the number of trips and the mileage that uh i traveled to the moon and back and so um you know the moon is like um 200 and some odd thousand miles so um it was it was a significant number of miles it really was um but you know what's the what's the old book um i love you to the moon and back and uh that was a, how much. How much? um, What's the What's the title of that book? How much do I love you? The, uh, something like yeah. yeah,
0: something like that. And oh. you're like, I love you this much, and then that's you right. like, you put your hands apart or whatever. Right, right. Yeah. And I so <laughs> uh,
2: so I can literally say I love you to the moon and back because every every mile wow. was a mile of love.
0: Wow, that's great. And with that time. I remember a couple of, I guess, I I guess, like, I don't know. There's, Kalen, you and I have very different experiences in the car. We were kind of talking about it before this, that when we were trying to come up with a topic for today. um, For me, those were times of, and I think it's me being a uh, quality time sort of guy. Quality time is my love language. And so being able to Rather not um, just kind of sleep through the car ride as you said that you did. Because um, every time we'd be in the car, we'd go five minutes down the road and you were passed out with your I'd mouth. Be,
1: yeah, I'd be knocked out in the back seat. <laughs>
0: yeah, with your mouth wide open in the back seat, drooling and all. And uh, for the next hour and a half. But for me, that was, I mean, it was a pretty, um, I guess, a, a lot of thinking and then a lot of conversations with dad as well during that time and i think um as much as that could have been a burden i think it was actually a blessing for me growing up um but i i remember we had i one of the most compelling conversations or um one of the most um I guess for some reason the a conversation around about like space and uh, black holes and we were like driving at night and I was asking dad all these questions. Do you remember that dad about, and we like had this really long in depth conversation about the cosmos and all these different things.
2: Uh, I don't remember that particular conversation. I do remember having lots of deep conversations with you and uh, you know, it was, you were talking about, um, you know, connecting and um you know kind of using that time to do that and um two things that are correct one yeah it was it was a good opportunity to do that because we didn't have an opportunity to do it otherwise and two you were not competing with your brother for my attention in that particular time because he was always asleep in the back
1: yeah (laughs) i I was just giving that time for you guys that's why i would fall asleep every time
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's interesting um, Deb, what are some conversations that you remember during that time?
2: Well, the one, I mean, the, the one conversation, I, I actually remember two two very distinct conversations, and they were both very important to me. Um, one conversation was really about my own faith as you were exploring your faith, and we were having these discussions about about God and um, formal religion, and I just remember uh, kind of laying it out to you where I was at that particular point in time in my my own faith um, or lack of faith uh, in that I had pretty much uh, adopted a purely secular approach to to the world and um, I just it was just hard for me to wrap my head around how you know, a loving God and an all knowing God, uh, permits if, 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 a if an omnipotent God is truly uh, able to change the world and change the circumstances, then, um, I was always befuddled as to how that, you know, a loving God could, could allow the suffering that we see and the bad things to happen to children and to, you know, good people. So, you know, I was, I was always kind of Digging into that secular side of, of, of the, of understanding of what, you know, what was or was not religion. So, you know, that I remember having that conversation with you and I remember having really, um, a really intellectual conversation with you about it all. And you were at the Mm. time, maybe 13 or 14. And so you were just kind of Mm. exploring all that and kind of coming to understand all that. Um, But it was really meaningful. Um, do you remember yeah. that do you remember that discussion?
0: I do, yeah. Um I I didn't remember it off the top of my head, but I do remember. I didn't remember you going into the uh like that particular argument about it, I guess, but I do remember asking about it and I don't know, it was it was really interesting having I guess the world view of my our mom versus the worldview of you and then uh, kind of coming to figure out our worldviews with how you guys brought us up, I guess. Yeah. Um, It's kind of, it's kind of a, a
2: different circumstance when, when you're living with, um, you know, when your parents are separated or divorced and you get to, I had never thought about this before, by the way, Anderson, it was really, it's interesting now I'm going to reflect on my own circumstances because, um, you know, my parents were also divorced and and I did not see my dad a lot. I saw him enough, but I didn't see him a lot. And so you do get, you do get two worldviews that are not commingled. When yeah. when your parents are living together in the same house, you're getting those perspectives kind of commingled and maybe tempered in a way or another. Um, but you know, what you were hearing is you're hearing your mom's voice independently of my voice and you're hearing my voice independently or your mom's influence. And then you get to reconcile that. And in, in, I imagine it was at times a little bit challenging.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I also, um, I also remember a particular time uh, when uh, I think I was in maybe sixth grade or something like that, sixth or seventh grade. Junior high was hard for me, guys. I I I went through hell and back in junior high. Um, oh, I
1: I watched it all.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't really have to tell you. I'm more so telling anyone who's who's listening to this, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh but i remember i like i was really into like emo music in junior high and i like was into like writing music and i wrote this song and i remembered that um i i don't remember the particular contents of the song that i wrote but it had it was it was important enough for you to step out of work that day and to drive the hour and a half to pull me out of school and like check on me. And I, and I just want to know what was going on in your head during that drive on your way over.
2: Um, fear, uh, guilt. Um, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of questions, a lot of self-doubt as a parent. Um, and uh, you know, those are, it's a, it's a long time you know, that 75-minute that drive or 80-minute drive, it's a long time to be uh, sitting there imagining because your brain just starts to go into that. You know, you're just imagining all the different kinds of things that could possibly go be going on. Yeah. And, um, you know, more often than not, what you imagine is much, much worse than what actually is. And that turned out to be the case this time. But, you know, those were all the things that, you know, as a I mean, for lack of a better term, an absent dad. Those are the kinds of things that go through your head. Um, yeah. So I remember, um, I remember having a, a a long conversation with you specifically, and Caitlin was probably listening with his eyes closed in the back seat. But you know, it's always really important to me to make sure that you understood what the circumstances were were around our divorce. That there was never any question about. Who made the decision? Who, you know, who, who quote, left the relationship or, you know, who, who gave up on the relationship? And, um, you know, I was more than once, I had those conversations with, with you guys. I don't know if you remember those or not, but, you know, that was just something. I don't know if it was cathartic for me, but I always thought thought it was important that you had a really clear understanding that this was not really about your mom at all. This was just about, about me. And, um, you know, that was the way it all went down.
0: Yeah, Ken, do you remember that?
1: Uh, vaguely bits and pieces of it. I I yeah. remember a conversation I had with that about um, it. Kind of started after cancer and rethinking life. Type of type of uh, conversation, but that was, was that was a while ago, and I kind of details get fuzzy to me.
0: Kaylin, the
2: the conversation we did have that conversation, but the conversations that you and I had, I mean, we we talked mostly about, you know, um, you know K- Anderson. You talked about how hard it was for you in middle school, which is why you have such compassion and empathy for the youth that you serve, <laughs> uh, which yeah. is a uh, which is a really really uh, important thing, you know. But yeah. Kaylin's struggle, Kaylin had his own struggles, but they were different kind of struggles, and um, you know, Caitlin had taken on a a leadership role. I mean, he was bestowed a leadership role in his class and it wasn't anything that he sought or anything he went after. And I felt particularly empathetic for Kaelin around this because I had the same thing and he Mm -hmm. had adults. He had adults who had expectations of him uh, to lead in ways that he was not particularly comfortable in leading, but was asked to do so. And then um you know, took a lot of uh, verbal abuse and punishment and, um, you know, a lot of people's anger, a lot of adults' anger, and they put a lot on him. They really put a lot on him. And I, I had similar kinds of things go on with me when I, and so I was just trying to help understand what he was going through and give him a chance to talk about it. And the thing for me as a father is I always committed myself to never, like, tell you guys what to do, but to give yeah. you an opportunity to talk through it in a safe space and to think about it and to share if you wanted to share, but not force you to share. So, um, you know, his his difficulties were, uh, I I think, as significant, but in a different way. I mean, your yours was about fitting in, I'd imagine, right? And yeah. his was about, um, you know, what I would call unfair expectations of adults around him. Kalen, you can what? jump in on that if you want.
0: I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, what? I mean, what most of it what? was uh, athletic. What race. age was this, uh, Okay, Junior slash senior year, mostly senior year when I was in the top of the class, so there would be no one yeah. ahead of me to pick up slack. Um, I'm not really sure how to Get into this or and, what to talk about, about it. In basketball what
0: particularly?
1: It? Mostly, yeah. It was yeah. taking on the role of being the head, but not never getting reassured about anything that I would do. So I mm. would do something, and it would just go slide by, and then if I would do like the slightest thing that would happen that would go wrong, it would instant punishment type stuff, and uh, it, was, it mm. was really hard for me right yeah almost walked out halfway through the season and didn't even finish it that's what i really wanted to do yeah but
0: it's kind of like if you're not it, it's like the concept if you're not being told you're doing a bad job then you're doing a good job i guess that's like kind of a uh perspective i've had to take within some sort of work like in some work environments but
1: right as a leader
0: you should be telling people they're doing a good job as well yeah but you can't it was, yeah
1: it was almost like all teardown with no build-up yeah you can't have can't have that that criticism without any build back up otherwise it's just constant constant destruction i guess yeah <laughs> not to what you, sound super super dramatic
0: what did you learn from it though like what was your big takeaway
1: um, from it i have got i mean it may be more empathetic because i I've, I've I like to reassure people that whether or not I it it kind of influenced the way I help people or talk to people because if say I'm playing just like in real sports with somebody if they do something and it's not the right it's like just to give them advice instead of yelling at them and just constantly kind of breaking them down pointing fingers at people it's more so maybe try this maybe try that just offering yeah. other options to things rather than. Just telling them that they're doing a bad job
0: yeah yeah, so Dad, as a parent and as a father particularly how do you how do you show respect to another adult who has i guess quote unquote as you said heaped on verbal abuse towards your son um, while how do you how do you balance that tension of wanting to show support versus what versus showing justice for your kid, I guess, or standing up for your kid.
2: It's extremely, extremely difficult. Uh, there were, there were times when I, I was like really close to stepping across that line. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, it is, um, you know, it's a, it's a realization or an understanding that this is, you know, what Caitlin was going through and certainly, you know, the kinds of things that you went through, um, in your middle school years, those are, those are single incidences within a lifetime of having to deal with people like that and deal with circumstances like that. And, um, so, you know, there's a, there's, as much as as much as I was inclined to try to be involved or like get involved, there was a part of me that said, "No, just you know, you're not going to change. You're not going to change the the adult in that situation. The adult in that situation is behaving how they naturally behave. What you can do, what you can do is you can give your son um, an opportunity and a safe space to talk about it." And yeah. uh, the opportunity in a safe space to make decisions about it and walk away from it if he, you, know, Caitlin, if you would have chosen to walk away in middle middle of the year, I wouldn't have said a thing to you? Just, my my only question would be, are you sure this is what you want to do? And if your yeah. answer was, yeah, I'm sure." And that would have been fine. I'd have been totally good with that because you know you're gonna have you're gonna have a half a dozen dozen of those situations where you have to deal with individuals that are insufferable. That puts you in difficult circumstances that treat you unfairly, and you're gonna have to decide am I gonna stay or am I gonna go? And sometimes you'll stay and sometimes you'll go. So, I I, that was how I did it, Anderson. I just you know, it's kind of balancing the short term versus the long term. And I thought in this particular case, as long as he wasn't like to a point where he might hurt himself or you know, wasn't suffering, uh, you know, personal injury in some way or mental injury in some way then um you know I, I could I could allow it to go. But it was hard. And I think yeah. there was actually at one point in time where I had a conversation with you, Kalen, and I apologized for not being more directly involved.
1: Yeah, well I I wouldn't have wanted you to be more directly directly involved because I was actually never the one who ever voiced any of the stuff that would have happened. You always got heard it through the grapevine of <laughs> teammates who would go home and tell their parents what happened at practice. And then their parents would then go to my mom or you, and then you would just hear it through the grapevine. Cause I never came home after the end of the day and talked about what would go on. It would be my teammates who would go home and say something. And then my mom and like- you would come and check on me and see what's going on. Yeah. So Anderson, with your situation,
2: hmm. it was a little bit different in that drive that I was making that you had alluded to earlier, because I thought there was a, a chance that in in your in your current state that you could hurt yourself and um and and that's that's a scary proposition for a parent so um you know i had a that was one of those things where i just had to decide i gotta go i gotta i gotta go get involved in this because you know it's it's too it's too close uh, to yeah. injury, to personal injury, to, to allow it to go on. So that's, that's parenting. I mean, that's, that's a whole lot of, you know, you're standing on the edge of the bed and am I going to let you fall onto bed and just, you know, you know, that's the way it goes or am I going to let you fall off the bed or am I going to rescue you? I mean, it's all, it, it, that's, that's parenting. Do I save yeah. myself? You know, at what point do you save your, save your children from themselves? That's always the question. It's an yeah. enduring question.
0: Yeah. That's very interesting. And I'm sure a lot of that just comes from knowing your like knowing your kids and knowing uh knowing them as individuals and being able to decipher in that moment whether or not or how how high is the risk in that moment, I guess. Right. I I spent a lot of time
2: you might not realize this, but I spent a lot of time and put in a lot of effort Trying to understand both of you and connect, you know, find a connection to both of you so I can constantly have that. Because when you're, you know, when you're living there, you kind of always just kind of, you, you, your finger is just kind of naturally on the pulse. But I needed to figure out how I could, how I could feel that and sense that from a distance. And, um, yeah. you know, that, that took some intentional, some intentionality in order to be able to to do that. Yeah. Boom.
0: So. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like it's almost like, because you were forced to be intentional about it. It probably your finger is probably more on the pulse than someone who would just be kind of, uh, like just taking it day by day and skating on the ice and just kind of chilling through everything, you know? Uh, yeah. Um, not promoting um, like a separated marriage circumstance. I'm very for uh, healthy marriages and for uh, families that aren't split and stuff like that. But I think it was an opportunity for you to be able to... I don't know. My mom always told us that as well. She said that you were your finger was much more on the pulse than a lot of dads who live with their kids, I guess. And I don't well, know if she was using that as... Um, As kind of a comfort tool, I guess, but yeah, that's, that was something she said quite often. I am, I am all for healthy marriages
2: and I am all for, you know, sticking it out. The, where it came, where it came down, this doesn't really need to turn into a conversation about divorce, but what, you know, the deciding factor (laughs) between, um, you know, staying or leaving, uh, my marriage to your mom was all about, um, you know what what would the quality of the relationship be and how would that affect you and your brother either positively or negatively and i didn't feel like i could be my best self in you know staying in that marriage and and i you know in order to be my the best dad i have to be my best self and that was what that's just sort of hard decisions to make and i don't i and again i'm with you i i support healthy yeah. marriages too Yeah. Um, But there comes a point in time where, you know, the the foundation is so, so dramatically altered that you just have to take it down and then rebuild it from from the Mm -hmm. ground up.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Interesting stuff from from uh, seven and a half hour car rides with Kalen to uh, our (laughs) biggest personal struggles as kids, I guess. So there
2: you I go internet. Yeah. I, and Anderson, I wanted to explore a little bit more with you about, um, I knew, I knew the middle school was difficult, but yeah, I, I've never heard you describe it as hell. And, um, I suspected that it was because I know small towns and I know, you know, how hard, how hard it is for, uh, kids to fit in in small towns if you are not, wired a particular way and so i'm just curious about what um you know what was it about your middle school that was really really difficult and how did you get through it and and what were your your coping mechanisms
0: um i think so i first i want to preface this with absolute respect for um for the man that my mom married tim and the family that we that they built together um I didn't see it when I was a kid um but as an adult now I have a hundred percent respect for um the Hemelgarn family and I I love them very much but um I think the the foundation of it with not feeling like I could fit in in my own house if that makes sense um that I think Joel and I really clashed a lot growing up and I didn't realize he was just about as emotional as I was. Um, I think he just, he, he, uh, presented it in different ways than I did. Um, but I think because there was almost this, I felt this expectation to be this like sports guy and like that. The culture in small-town Ohio is that you, like... Or a football you, jock. Yeah, you're a football jock or a basketball. <laughs> like, Kaelin, that's probably why your expectations were so high on you because the town literally lives for football and basketball. Exactly. Um, that's it's really the only thing that is that gets people moving forward. So, um, I mean, it's not the only thing, but it, it that expectation, I think, alone was so like that you're not almost it almost felt as if like you're not uh like you're not masculine or you're not a man if you don't play football or right. or and I played football in junior high and I kind of enjoyed it I, I enjoyed it in, in eighth grade um a little bit more but then high school football came and I was like nah I'm out uh <laughs>
2: The line you used to me, Anderson, the line when you told me you weren't going to play football anymore is when you said, uh, I liked it in junior high, but when I got to high school, they're trying to hurt me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is 100% the truth. And I don't like pain. So I, I think, first of all, I was, I had so much confusion around, it wasn't at that point it wasn't the divorce that i was mad about it was the aftermath that i was mad about and i wasn't comfortable in my own home and i also wasn't i didn't feel like i fit in with anybody at school at that time as well so um kind of living my life as if i'm not able to fit in uh anywhere i go that was a very difficult headspace to be in um now, I mean, now that I've kind of grown and developed, I absolutely respect, as I said before, um, Tim. And I, I love that my mom is happy and that their, their marriage is, is doing well. And I love Joel and Austin. I, I get to be in Joel's wedding party in October, which is going to be amazing. And um, but definitely the ways that I coped with that were playing music and, and playing in the band. Um, I never played music, I don't think I was ever in a band, or at least something that was like long-term with anybody in my class, um, except for Austin. And Austin and I, me and Austin's relationship developed a lot through high school, through that, which was really cool. And I think when we were younger and a little bit more immature, he was kind of in the foreground uh, and was kind of like the class clown I guess and then uh, I felt like I was neglected but then as we got older and people started to mature a little bit more they were less into the class clown type of deal and so then at that point I was a bit more of a protector I guess within that relationship um, and and uh, and I had to stand up for him a couple times and make sure that he didn't wasn't getting bullied and whatnot so I think that relationship and and playing music together helped a lot through that. Um, and developing relationships with guys who had similar interests with me, like Chris and uh, Isaac through our flight risk band. Um, that was definitely helpful as well.
2: So what about you, Caitlin? How did, how did you adapt to that new family structure?
1: For, I, I think I guess since I was a little younger, it was easier for me to adapt because I just kind of swung right into things. I didn't have, I didn't earn a step brother who was the same age, so having to compete in the same class for similar friends. Because I'm sure it was tough for Anderson, where sometimes you would share the same friends with your your brother, and that might be difficult. I'm sure twins, people who are twins in small towns, have the same problem. but i I had my own class to fluidly ha- make friends in um I got very fortunate that I made that I had a class of buddies who had similar interests as I did um who we weren't we weren't into like the huge party type we weren't considered the outcast we were just kind of there. nobody hated us, nobody necessarily liked us. We were just kind of neutral people um which made it easy to just be ourselves and be our own people um but at home i since i was the youngest i guess i got most of the attention from because that's what the youngest gets whether you ask for it or not <laughs> that's the truth of the matter <clears throat> so it wasn't as difficult for me um in that transition i do remember getting having a phase where anderson and joel would pick on me rather frequently but that again also probably <laughs> just comes with being the youngest in the family you're the you're the weak yeah. one um, who gets picked on? But then you also get the other ones in trouble.
0: That's true. I think a lot of that came from it. We we can either go against each other, or we can team up and go against this little guy, and that's a lot exactly. more
1: fun. I felt like you you two picked on Austin more than I than I, so I was more of the uh, audience. Wow. Yeah. Joel would beat up on Austin. I was like a.
0: I feel like with Joel and Austin I was we were a little bit more passerbys. so that we were we were observers to the point where we couldn't get in trouble for anything but we weren't necessarily like preventing anything from happening as well we were just kind of the silent watchers. Um, right. Of chaos unfolding.
1: Right.
2: <laughs> so it's interesting because I I never saw that out of you two when you were here. I mean I never saw any of that like Picking on each other, and you know, there's this, there's this um, stereotypical brother relationship where the older brother beats up the younger brother, and the older brother, um, you know, dominates the younger brother. I did, I never, I never ever witnessed that from you. But also, what I think is kind of interesting to me is that you know, I have two older brothers, two years older and four years older, and I don't ever remember. Brothers and I getting in a fight. I don't ever remember a physical altercation. Um, I don't ever remember either of my brothers ever hitting me or even saying a, a mean word to me um, ever. And so um, did it happen? Likely, but I don't remember it, and it wasn't all that big of a deal. And and I really don't think that we ever had that stereotypical, you know, get your brother up kind of, of moment. It just never ever happened. So um, it's just kind of interesting me for me to hear that description of what that d- dynamic was at your mom's, and um, you know how different that was when you were here.
1: Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like it was an everyday type of thing. It was, it was, it wasn't like anything like super big. Like it wasn't like we would get in fist fights or we would get in screaming, yelling arguments. It was more like he would say a nickname that would provoke me, and I would get upset about it for like. 20 minutes and then it'd be over it wasn't i can't remember any kind of big conflict that ever went on between us it was just like small little things that you when you get tired of being in the same room with someone for too long you say something and then and then you part your ways yeah we shared
0: a room for a long time count
1: 16 years
0: yeah 16 years of uh, room sharing
1: bunk beds yeah oh getting thrown up on
2: yeah (laughs) yeah that'll be we'll have to say that for another time yes yes um but yeah so um and take us out here anderson that's uh that was that was good that was that was some good stuff that was a
1: good talk yeah yeah
0: that was fun very fun all right well Thank you guys for listening today. We hope you enjoyed it and uh we'll see you next time. Thanks. See ya. Yep, see ya.